So today, as we read, we are looking at this passage in Daniel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. And um, I think Martin introduced this, but we're essentially looking at our, or continuing our series in looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And today, as we um, saw in the reading, we'll be looking at Christ as the Son of Man. So we're reading here in Daniel, and maybe just for a little bit of context, as uh, some of this, or the start of this passage isn't necessarily easy with all these beasts and so on. Um, so essentially, Daniel was a prophet throughout the captivity in Babylon. Um, and obviously, at that time, the prophets were God's voice. So that's how God spoke to both the people of Israel, but also to the nations that were around them. Um, and we see in several chapters like this one and earlier in Daniel as well, there's different visions. And these, as Martin mentioned as well, they're apocalyptic visions in the sense that we see the same uh, words or the same images that are used in the last book of the Bible. So we find that um, in, the, in the speaking and some of the interpretation as well of what these uh, beasts or the visions that he has. But really the purpose I think as we look at this this morning is to be reminded that the way that Daniel spoke and what these visions always had in mind was to reassure the people of God that whatever happened, so at this time they were captive in Babylon, they were under rule and persecution, but it was really to remind it that God is still in control. And we see that in the history of all the things that are had happened, but also these visions speak to us of things that will happen. And as we'll look this morning, we'll see um, that many of these things that were announced, all these visions speak of things that did happen in the future. And so we really see through that God's purpose always, always coming through. So as we look at the, the visions here, and I'm not going to spend too much time, but I did want to give a little bit of explanations from what I could find as to what these beasts are before we start looking a little bit more at um, the Son of Man and that thought, and we'll take a little tour through the New Testament um, as well. But essentially what we see here is these four beasts, and these four beasts might be four kingdoms, um, or it could also be just the idea that the four sides complete the whole, and so a whole thought around it. So we see these grace beasts um, coming out, and if we look at the, the first one, uh, which we have in verse four, speaks of it as a lion with wings, eagle's wings, and it's typically the understanding that this represents Babylon, and then what we see later on um, in this first, with the, the wings and the, the feathers being plucked off, that is really the fall and the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. And then in verse 5, we have the bear, which it is thought to represent Medo-Persia, with the side being raised up being the stronger Persian component of the kingdom. And then we see the next one, which is the leopard. And this one is thought to represent Alexander the Great and the speedy conquest that he's had over the civilized world. And then the four heads of this one speaking to us of how his kingdom was divided into four different parts after his death. And then finally, the most terrifying beast, as it is mentioned here in scripture, which we see in verses seven and eight, 
speaks to us of the Roman Empire and how it was much stronger and different than any of these that came before. But really, as we continue to read, um, what we see very much at the center of the vision that Daniel has in this passage is seeing this heavenly courtroom with the thrones being set up for judgment and the Ancient of Days, which is God himself, really sitting on that throne at the center. And the description, too, of uh, the Ancient of Days, so looking at verses 9 and 10, speak to us of his character. As we see, his clothing was white as snow. So really thinking of the purity that describes God. We see uh, his hair being described as pure wool, as well speaking to us of his wisdom, infinite wisdom. But also then we see all this fire, so whether it's the, the throne himself with the fires, the, the thousands and thousands that are surrounding him, that also speaks to us of his power. So what he brings in judgment um, through his purity, his ability to really tell between right and wrong, his wisdom is infinite wisdom. He also has the power to execute that judgment. So that's a very strong image when we think of that throne coming um, overall at that moment of um, judgment. But then we see to the son of man that is introduced. And Daniel here just continues to look at these visions and he sees the son of man coming. And the son of man is approaching in a way that doesn't necessarily speak to us of how a typical man would approach. And often in scripture, at least in the Old Testament, we found that son of man was a way of differentiating from son of God. Just two things were separate. One could not be both. But here, the way that we see spoken of the son of man really comes in a way as a, a godly person and the way that he approaches the throne as well. So, We'll take a, a few um, scriptures in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles open, I'll give you a few minutes every time just to, to get to them. Um, but essentially, what I wanted us to look on this morning is that, that Son of Man. And why is it so important? And what do we learn from the New Testament about the Son of Man? And then we'll come back to the scripture um, to wrap it up at the end. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Luke's Gospel. In chapter 1, so read just a couple of verses. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and verses 26 through 33. So that's Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. I was thinking about the scripture last week because we actually read it as we were looking at 
the lineage of Jesus and where he came from and which tribe he was descended of. But the scripture also tells us of the things that were announced. And I think throughout these passages, one of the things I wanted to highlight is when we look at the Old Testament, we see Jesus as son of God. When we look at the New Testament, the people at the time saw him as a son of man. So here we see him introduced as the son of man in the virgin birth, but Mary is told who he really is, which is the son of God. So when we think too of the Jews and the people at the time when Jesus actually came to them, they were under dominion of the Roman kingdom. And many that would have known the scriptures of the Old Testament, which they had at the time, they would have expected that Messiah to come. And many of them were expecting the Messiah. But they expected the Messiah to come in the form in which we read in the Old Testament, which is that of a, one that would come to deliver them with power and to judge the people and the kingdoms that were over, over them. So when here we see Jesus introduced as a son of man coming in this form, and as we know of the, the story of the Bible, we see the way that Jesus grew up and the way that he um, was introduced around men. He really didn't come in the way that we see in the Old Testament with all this judgment and the throne and the fires and the thousands and thousands. But this is really important because they had to understand who Jesus really was. And before the judgment comes, more had to happen. So let's maybe look at Luke chapter 9 as well. So we'll read a few verses, verses 18 through 22. So that's Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, the one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them not to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So here, Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of Man. The disciples obviously knew who he was. They had seen everything that he had done, the miracles, the, the, all the things that he had taught them using the Old Testament scriptures in the same way that we have them today. But he still asked that question to them because the identity of Christ is so central to the message of the gospel. And depending how you answer that question, which Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? This has a profound impact on your life and a defining aspect to your salvation. So this question that he asked them at the time is still very relevant today. And every time 
we look at that scripture, that question still stands today. And it does this morning as well. So that question is one that each of us has to answer. And how you answer it will define whether you believe that Christ is the son of man and son of God, and through him we have salvation. Or you, you reject him and believe that that is not the case. So last week, as I mentioned, we kind of looked at that characteristic of that, um, uh, the, um, the identity of Christ as being both the king, descendant of kings, but also the priest, the high priest, being that king priest, which was in contradiction with what had come before with the, the Jewish people. And here we see him in that question that he is both son of God and son of man. So the, the people that were at the time of his life, they knew him as a son of man. They knew his parents. They had seen him grow up in the same way that other men would grow up at the time. But when we look at the Old Testament, we know that he comes from God as we see him as the son of man introduced in Daniel. So really that question is about understanding that Jesus isn't like other men. He's son of man as well as being son of God. And we see elsewhere in the scriptures that uh, when the birth of Jesus was introduced and foretold, there's also that which is told that he would be divisive for men. And I think that that question is what makes him divisive for us because it will be those that believe and those that do not. But it is so central to our salvation. But not only that, but here too, Jesus speaks of what is to come. So again, he tells his disciples that were with him, what are the things that are to come in the next few days and weeks? Then he tells them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So if you look now in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 3, So I'll read just a couple of verses. So John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, there's many scriptures, if you do a search in the New Testament, that speak of the Son of Man, but I wanted to link this one to the previous one that we looked at because Christ Jesus speaks of his death and how he was to die. And as we see throughout the New Testament, we see the way that Jesus and then the apostles, they use images or visions or stories from the Old Testament to speak of who Jesus is and what are the things that had to come and why it was so important and also how they were the realization of what we see in the Old Testament. So in this one, he uses that scripture or that story that the people had gone through having gone in the desert um, and the way that they were suffering in the desert. They were surrounded by serpents. Some of them were bit, but 
essentially God had provided for them a salvation in that moment that they would not die from being bit by the serpent. And so there was a serpent raised up on the poles. I'm sure you, you know the story. And um, whenever someone in the people of Israel was bit by the serpent, they had just to look at it. And if they looked at it, they were saved. But if they didn't, obviously, they tended to die from that serpent bite. And this obviously is an interesting image when we think about the way that Christ has died, because we find similarities as well as it speaks more of what Jesus went through on his death. So Jesus, too, was lifted up in the same way that the serpent was lifted up because he died on the cross. So he didn't die on the ground. He died lifted up. But the thing that I think is interesting for us is to think of why is it linked to the serpent? So the people were bit, they looked at the serpent, the very thing that had bit them and was killing them. But what that tells us when we look at um, Jesus's death on the cross is when we look at him, what we see in him is him taking on the sin. So he takes on the sin of the world. And so it's the very thing that kills us and keeps us away from God. So when we look at Jesus on the cross, what we see is him taking our sin away. So in that sense, that image is really complete. As we walk through what may feel like a desert sometimes and we, in terms of not a, a place that is very um, good for us where we can prosper, we too have this image of the one that we can look at for our salvation. So now if we go back to Daniel, having looked at these scriptures, that was Daniel 7, we've looked at how the Son of Man was indeed Son of God. We've looked at his identity in that sense. We've looked at the way that he came into the world, but we also seen the way that he was rejected by the world and the way that he was killed on the cross. And we know that also after his death, three days and three nights, he was resurrected and ascended back into heavens. So what we have is a sort of full circle in the sense that Jesus, Son of God, descended into the world as a son of man. And then he ascended back to heaven. So now as we come back to Daniel, and there's that time in between the introduction of the Son of Man and the judgment. And that's the time in which we find ourselves. The coming here of Jesus as a king to rule for his kingdom to take place, his eternal kingdom. That is his second coming. And so we have this time now where we know that Jesus has come. He was the one that took on the sin of the world, and through him we have that salvation. So through that, we see in this scripture that what we can look forward to and that is presented in this scripture with that final judgment and the internal kingdom being raised up, that is yet to come. But we don't have to fear in that sense the judgment 
because Christ has already come. And because in his first coming, he came as the one to take that sin away from the world and to create that ability for us to be reconciled with God. So when we look at a scripture like this that we have in Daniel, and we can rejoice because we can see that the, the judgment is coming, but we know that we have this ability to be reconciled to God, so we don't have to fear it. So the prophecies, obviously, at the time of Daniel, I think Martin mentioned that at the outset as well, is they were also about giving them courage, giving that strength to the people that whatever happened, whatever circumstances they were under, they could always look and know that God was in control and was over all things, and that what he had purposed would pass. And as we've seen now in the New Testament, so many of these scriptures of the Old Testament were made true through Jesus. So we too can take that courage that whatever is around us, God is in control. And what he has purposed and what that day of judgment is to come and the reigning, the eternal reign of Jesus as king, that is yet to come. And we know that that is true because if we believe the scriptures and we believe who Jesus is and we answer that question, who do you say that I am? Then, then we really have hope. And we have hope that um, Jesus' kingdom is to reign eternal. So if we have it here, in Daniel it says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is our hope. Let's pray.